Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Katie Sewell down here in San Francisco. Tiffany Parks on the other side of the world in Rome. Time difference being it's one in the afternoon here. And what time is it there right now? 10 p.m. So 10 p.m. So even though it's 10 p.m. though, Tiffany's having afternoon tea right now, <laughs> as she would have done if we were together in Rome, which we soon will be. Yay! As we mentioned on this show, I am heading back to Rome to record a whole series of Roman episodes toward the end of March. And I don't know if it's because I'm thinking about coming back to Rome or it's this show and the fact that you're in Rome, but I feel like I keep running into people who tell me that they're going to Rome or that they just got back from Rome a lot lately. A lot. Well, that would be your synchronicity, you know? Right. Everything lines up. Or other more cynical people might say, it's just you're more aware of Rome. It's more on your consciousness right now because you're about to go. Yeah, or more cynical people might say, hey, a lot of people want to go to Rome and it's a place that people go to and return to over and over again. And so maybe just a higher percentage of people go to Rome or have been to Rome. I don't know. Could be that too. Probably more people have been to Rome than went to my hometown of Brainerd, Minnesota. Probably. But I like the synchronicity idea. Yeah, synchronicity is a theme actually that plays really highly into your book. Yes, it is. Midnight in the Piazza. Hey, maybe we should talk about synchronicity a little bit during our live show. Sounds like a good idea. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, our live show is going to be on Friday, March 16th at 7.30 p.m. Is that right, Katie? That's right. In Seattle. And it is going to be at the Greenwood Senior Center, presented by Town Hall in Seattle. Yeah, don't let the, the, the name Greenwood Senior Center put you off, though. <laughs> no. It's the happening place in Seattle. <laughs> yes, it is going to be the most happening place in Seattle on March 16th. So Town Hall, which is a local performance venue in Seattle, local Seattleites may or may not know, uh, they usually have this beautiful old church that they run all their operations from. But right now, that church is closed for a renovation, getting it prepared enough for the earthquake that's undoubtedly coming to Seattle at some point so that the building itself doesn't crumble into the ground. But they're also doing some really cool improvements on the inside. But as a result... They're putting on all of their shows in different venues all over the city, and we are going to be in the Greenwood Senior Center, 7.30, March 16th. All of you listeners in Seattle, I hope you will turn out to see us in person for the first time ever together. Yay. Oh my gosh, it's so terrifying. I know, because I, you guys hear me edited by Katie. You don't hear <laughs> yeah. all my ums and my, you know, my mistakes. I mean, sometimes she leaves them in. But she makes me sound way smarter than I actually am. So I'm kind of terrified to do a live show. I leave them in if I can't get them out for some reason, usually. But yeah, so yeah, another incentive to come to the live show. You can not only see what Tiffany looks like in person, you can hear what she actually sounds like in person. And, and me too. Me too. It's not like I don't help myself out from time to time. So Well, you guys are all going to see that Katie Sewell does not have a face for radio. Aww. She's gorgeous. Thank you. Well, same for Tiffany Parks. So good times. Maybe that's why our audience slightly skews men <laughs> toward men. <laughs> Just kidding. God, we sound so arrogant right now. Show up for that uh, show, though. I want to see you there. But back to the Rome thing, because that's all happening before I come to Rome. But still, as I've heard from all these people, people are going to Rome 
right now or they're going next week or they're going the week after that or they're planning a move there and I thought it's been a long time since we've done any tips about cool places to go in Rome and maybe this might appeal more to the people who have been to Rome before and maybe don't want to just go see the Colosseum and the Forum again they want to try something different but I would argue I lived in Rome for a year and I never went in the Colosseum because I was always more attracted to the lesser known spots. And Tiffany, being an expert in lesser known spots, I thought we'd talk about it. Why not? Why not? Give some gems of the city. Yeah. So people can start dreaming. My favorite topic. There was one development, recent development in the city of Rome that you posted on your Instagram about or your Facebook about that stopped me in my tracks. It stopped me in my tracks when I saw it live. I was on my way to meet a blogger who's going to kindly write a little bit of a article on my book. And as I was walking across Lungotevere towards the Jewish ghetto, I saw the Portico d'Otavia, which is a gorgeous and a very interesting site in Rome that is kind of hidden in a place that Tourists really only go if they know to go there. It's not near any of the top 10 major attractions. It is in the center of town. It's in a part of town that is touristy, but it's kind of a pocket that's a little bit less touristy. But it's an amazing ancient site. It was built under Emperor Augustus in the first century BC. It's a portico, meaning it's a space that's delineated with a covered walkway that's columned on both sides to kind of give you a visual image of it and inside there were two temples and it was a place where they had a greek and a latin library they had exhibition spaces it was a very cultural area in the city very very little of it survives today the temples do not survive but the the front of the the portico does survive it's very dilapidated but it's still standing And one of the cool things about it was that it was restored in the Middle Ages, which isn't something that usually happened. Usually in the Middle Ages, at most, they were going to use the spot to build a house out of or something like that, or to build something more practical out of. And at worst, they were going to just tear it down because they needed to use the materials for other projects. But this place was actually restored because it Well, it was for a practical purpose because the sort of entry gate of the portico provided shelter for the fish market that was in that area. And so it has been sort of bricked up a little bit. A little brick arch has been added where some of the columns were. And there's even some traces of medieval frescoes on it. Isn't there also a place to measure fish on it? Oh my gosh, If if that is true, I've never heard that. And I have got to find out now. I've never heard that. It is my recollection from my explorations, because I did not live very far from there, nor did Tiffany, but there was actually a stone toward the bottom of it where they measured the fish to figure out the cost of it. Oh my gosh, I've got to find that out. It could be wrong, but that's my recollection. That's so cool. That's so cool. I got to figure that out. Anyway, it's a really great spot and also features in my book, by the way. Mm -hmm. And... Ever since I moved here, it's been under restorations. And usually, it's just, there's scaffolding, tons of scaffolding in the back part, and lots of tarps, just sort of like covering half of it. And let us remind everybody that Tiffany has been in Rome for what, 13 years? 13 and a half years, almost exactly. Right. So the whole time you've been there, it's always been covered in scaffolding. Not 100%, but at very least, the back part of it was. And I remember like it was in that state 
for years without any work being done on it. And I used to joke about it to my clients. I still do tours a little bit, but I used to do tours all the time. And every time I went there, you know, you'd have this, this scaffolding set up and these tarps and no work, no workers, nothing. And then all of a sudden they put scaffolding over the entire thing. And then that went away. Didn't seem like it did anything. And there was still the tarps and the scaffolding in the back. And then about a year or so ago, maybe more, the scaffolding went up again all over the entire thing. That's how it was the last time I saw it. And I walked up upon it on Friday and all the scaffolding was gone. Everything, all the tarps were gone. Everything was gone. And it was, I mean, it's the kind of thing that it's beautiful even when it has scaffolding on it. So to see it like that, it was just, oh, it's just incredible. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I mean, even seeing your picture of it made me want to fly back immediately. <laughs> because it really was quite stunning to see it just standing there on its own. It is. Because I've come back to visit Rome a few times since living there, and it's always been covered. So it was just astounding. Mm -hmm. Really cool. I mean, that's something that you can just walk by. No, nope, it's just there. You don't even have to... Uh, plan to pay money or anything or schedule a time that is just standing there and apparently just standing there free form now for all to see yeah i mean there's so many things like that in rome though that are just there and that are outside and you can just walk right up to and pretty amazing another place that popped into my head that people might not know about this is not actually free but i don't think it costs very much there is an underground site like so much of Rome underground, it's the ruins of the Stadium of Domitian. And if you've never heard of the Stadium of Domitian, it is the stadium where Piazza Navona was built. Now, if anybody's been to Rome, 99% of the people who've been to Rome for tourism have seen Piazza Navona because it's the most beautiful piazza in the city. I think the most beautiful piazza in the world. It's just stunning. It's very long, oblong shape. It's a very particular shape because it's very, very long and narrow. And on one end, it's flat. And on the other end, it's curved. And the buildings around it take that shape. They follow the shape. Well, that shape is not an accident. It was not just someone decided, oh, how, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of city planning going into Rome. So it wasn't like somebody said, oh, let's build this beautiful square and have it be in this particular shape. That spot was the site of the ancient stadium of Domitian built by Emperor Domitian in the first century AD. And it was a racetrack. And it was not a racetrack for chariot races because it was not big enough. It was for human races, like track and field, basically. And they would have games there that were called the Agones. And there was seating all the way around. If you want to imagine the Circus Maximus, if you've been there, it was a, like a miniature version of the Circus Maximus. And after Rome fell into decay and people started abandoning the city and the city was no longer being taken care of, in the early Middle Ages, people moved in, you know, and they started building little homes into the, the seating around the stadium. And those homes, obviously, many, many facelifts later, became the homes that are now around the Piazza Navona. And that's why it has that particular shape. And the reason it's straight on the one far end and curved on the other is because on the one end, on the south southern end, that was where the, 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 races, the racers would start. And then they would curve around. The site that you can now visit, it's actually been open for probably a good four or five years now. But I remember when they first opened it, it was very exciting. It's basically the ruins of the stadium that you can visit. The actual 
few little pieces that are actually left of the marble seating and stuff. So you can go down there. There's a little entrance at the northern end, the curved end of Piazza Navona. And that's pretty amazing. And that's a place that not a lot of people know about, or at least not a lot of people go to. Yeah, the entrance to it is sort of tucked around the corner from the gorgeous piazza. And so you spend all your time wandering the piazza, looking at art and eating gelato, and then you just sort of walk out (laughs) and head somewhere else, some other big spot. But right around the corner is the entrance to that little museum. So, What were some of your favorite hidden places that you went when you were living here? I don't know that it would be considered hidden but one of the museums that I really liked the best was the Doria Pamphili Museum. Ah, I love that one. Right off of the course. Uh, I think it's off of... Uh, Via del Corso. Okay, yeah. Via del Corso. I thought so. Didn't want to give the wrong spot. And it is just the giant, magnificent home of this family. And there's lots of giant, magnificent homes of family. But for whatever reason, I found that one to be so charming. I think you definitely need to get the audio guide... It's narrated by one of the kids that grew up there. And he has all these sort of beautiful insights as you're wandering about, about him and his sister roller skating through certain rooms and his mother yelling at them to stop because it's this beautiful ancient place. So you get sort of the color of what it would have been like to be the family living there at one point, at least the most modern family. And a couple amazing... I'm trying to remember who was who. Who do you know off the top of your head? Who the um, was it Mozart that performed there? Oh, um, I don't know if it was Mozart or Gluck or no, it wasn't. It wasn't that Vivaldi. I Maybe, can't it was either Vivaldi or Mozart. I, I can't remember, but one of the two of them performed there also, and the little alcove where they performed is still there, and something about that just brought tears to my eyes when they were talking about that and they play the music and you could just, you know, I don't know. I've always had this thing with musicians where I don't investigate musicians very much. I have interviewed some, but I don't seek out interviews with them as much as I do with writers or other types of people. And part of that is because I think of music as being sort of mythical, like it's not created by humans. Uh, even though I know it is. This sounds so stupid to try to explain. <laughs> I understand that Mozart was a real person, but I almost don't picture him as being a real person, if that makes sense. Or Pink Floyd, to bring it into modern times. I feel like the music of Pink Floyd just appeared. <laughs> you know, and, and I could say, oh, those are the guys that made it. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But I don't want to know anything else about those people. Like, I want it to stay magic. But then something about being in this room, standing there where these iconic songs that we've heard in classical music for our entire lives were first performed and things like that. It just was so moving to me to actually be in the space. I love that. It made it real in a good way. And I was not expecting that when I walked into this beautiful mansion. I was just thinking I'd see some great art and some great embroidery, you know, see how the other half lives. So I would actually say that because it had all these unexpected moving elements to it, that that was one of my favorite spots. Another place that's kind of similar to Galleria Pamphili is Galleria Colonna. Mm-hmm. And we went there together. Yeah. And it was one of the very last things that we did together before you left. Mm-hmm. And that is a place that to me is special. And I think it's partially special because I went there with you and partially also special because it's only open on Saturday mornings. So you kind of have to know about it. For the small number of people who go to Galleria Doria Pamphili, which is not 
the majority of people who come to Rome, an even smaller number, go to Galleria Colonna. I just found that place so beautiful, just the gallery itself with the mirrored walls and the incredible ceiling frescoes. And I loved the cannonball that is embedded into the stairs. There's like a little four steps down at a certain point in this long gallery, these little marble steps, and there's a small cannonball. It's really only the size of what, like... A grapefruit? A grapefruit, exactly. That's what I was going to say. A grapefruit sitting on the steps, and the step is sort of crushed under its weight. And it came into the gallery. It burst its way in, in, if I'm not mistaken, 1849 during the Roman Republic. And I think it was French soldiers, soldiers who were fighting against the Romans. It just stayed there. They just kind of kept it there. And I love that. Yeah. It's a very vivid detail, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's not like it's just sitting there where they, you know, just haven't decided to move it or every now and then somebody kicks it out of place and it rolls and they put it back where it's supposed to be sitting. It's actually shoved into the stair. Yeah, it's embedded. Wedged. It was cannonball shot into that stair. And as far as I can tell, it's since never moved mm-hmm. from that position. So yeah, it's a really great detail. And it's an amazing gallery. Yeah. It's almost overwhelming. It's much more ornate and fancy than the Doria Pamphili house. Overwhelmingly fancy. Well, it's it's similar to... The Doria, the Doria Pamphili has two sections, though. It has a section that's like a house. I mean, a house. Like a mansion, <laughs> a mansion. With the rooms where you can see, like, there are little couches there. And it's more of what you would think of as a mansion. But then there's the gallery of Doria Pamphili, which is... It's very similar architecturally with the the mirrored walls and the frescoed ceiling and the arches. That was what, what made me think of it, just now at least, because I find them similar, at least that part of it. Mm-hmm. Another place that I went with you that I, that I love, and I have a great photograph, which we've posted before, but I will post again, the photographic proof of our afternoon spent at the Baths of Diocletian. Do you remember? <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say, but go for it. Uh, the Baths of Diocletian, an ancient Roman bathhouse, the largest actually in Rome now that I'm, yes, the Baths of Caracalla are the second largest. So the Baths of Diocletian, they're up by the Termini station and it's this huge, enormous bath complex that has, I think that when they excavated it, it was kind of a time during which the trend was instead of trying to maintain what you could of this ancient site, you sort of turned it into something else. And so part of it has been turned into a church by Michelangelo, Santa Maria degli Angeli dei Martiri. And the other part was turned into this um, large cloister that's now part of a museum, the National Roman Museum. If you go inside the cloister, at a certain point you can see this doorway in the distance an open doorway and it's the kind of thing where like if you just see it out of the corner of your eye you think that there's a person there and then you turn and you realize it's actually painted onto a wall and it's a painting of a priest of some kind like in very old-fashioned garb like 17th century garb and he's standing at the front of this doorway as if to say like I don't know. No, you can't come in is what it looks like. And I have a picture, which we will post on Instagram the day that this episode comes out, because you have to see this. I just have a cute picture of Katie standing there, like having a conversation with this guy. (laughs) 
We should post it on Facebook too. For okay. those of you who are on, on Instagram. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm having a conversation with that guy. I'm lo- I look like I'm asking him for directions. Mm-hmm. The one thing I always want to point out, though, whenever I see that picture is I did get rid of those pants. I've never even noticed the pants. <laughs> They're fine. They're just not super attractive, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's what Derek and I would call saggy, baggy elephant butt pants. <laughs> uh, which comes from a drawing of the saggy, baggy elephant from when I was a kid. But anyway, that's where I the saggy baggy elephant butt pants comes. It does it's not just totally random. It's based on a drawing that I once saw. But it's any <laughs> pants that have started to lose their form and are just sort of going down in folds you know, <laughs> around the base. It, but you know, I would like to point out, hey, I moved to Rome for a year and I couldn't bring very much with me. So I pretty much probably lived in those pants until they died. So that's just an aside. Don't judge. Well, I've looked at that picture many, many times and I've never even noticed that the pants were saggy. Oh, well, maybe so. I should cut that then and people won't notice it. Maybe. <laughs> um, what was the place that you were thinking I was going to say? I was thinking you were going to say, um, well, I don't remember the name of it now. What's the name of the White House that's in the park, the Doria Pamphili Park? Oh, right. We went there too. Casino del Bel Respiro. That's a nice one too, but I don't know if we want to mention that because that's really hard to get into. Yeah, and it's not really that nice. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. But yeah, okay. So what else you got? Uh, <laughs> I got a lot. <laughs> How much time you got? I don't know. Maybe like five more minutes. Um, I love... Maybe... Mm. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, please. You go. No. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> uh, Villa Farnesina. Mm. Love... These are all places I've been with you. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, probably because I like dragged you around all my favorite places. Villa Farnesina is, it really is one of those places that you can truly call a jewel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so lovely and perfect and small. I like small places because I like to go to a place and really feel like I've seen it and I've only spent like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's actually one of the few places I've been to multiple times. I didn't realize that's how great. Yeah, it is. It, it, it really is. It, it really is. Every time I pass by, I feel like, do I have time to go in? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a Renaissance building. It was built for Agostino Chigi, who was this very, very rich banker. He was like the Vatican's banker, and eventually passed into the Farnese family, which is why it's called the Villa Farnesina. But originally belonged to the Chigi family. And it is, it's full of frescoes, but I know it's easy to say, you know, we talk about frescoes and it's kind of like, okay, how many frescoes can you see before it's kind of like, okay, enough. But I don't know, there's something special about the loggia of Cupid and Psyche, which is on the ground floor. It was painted by Raphael's atelier. Probably Raphael didn't actually paint anything himself, but he was most likely responsible for at least the overall design, if not the actual individual paintings. It's a great story. I'm not going to tell it because it's very long and convoluted, but if you ever feel like reading an ancient Roman fairy tale, look up Cupid and Psyche because it, it truly is a fairy tale. It's not really a myth. It's more of a fairy tale written in ancient Rome, though. The scenes from this story are depicted in this loggia, which is basically like an open room, a room that does not have a wall in the front. Now there's glass, of course, to protect it, but 
sort of this open room. It's incredibly leafy. It's covered in vegetation and fruit and, and festoons. And there are all these gods and goddesses, gorgeous looking gods and goddesses, because of course, Raphael's style, you know, they were all gorgeous, um, just sort of floating around everywhere. And it's just incredible. It's absolutely stunning. And then if you go up to the next floor, there are some other rooms on the ground floor that are also beautiful. But if you go up to the, the first floor up, there's the room of the perspective. It's painted to look like the edges of the room are actually not there, that instead there are columns and windows and you can see straight out into the countryside. And there's a certain spot on the floor where if you stand there, the floor tiles, the geometric floor tiles continue on the wall in this sort of trompe l'oeil fashion. And so it really does look like, I mean, you can tell it's a painting, but if you kind of just squint your eyes and imagine, you can sort of feel like you are in this optical illusion. And another little detail about it, there's some graffiti on the paintings done by soldiers under Emperor Charles V during the sack of Rome. Go back to our sack of Rome episode if you want to hear about that. Yes. 1527, I think. 1526 or 27. Can't remember. 27. And do we have to point out, I feel like we should, in case you're traveling with a teenager who has a juvenile sense of humor, Mm -hmm. if you're in the... um, Cupid and Psyche room. Yes. And you look around and you pay attention. You could occupy them with this for at least 20 minutes. They need to find the very sexily, erotically placed eggplant and pomegranate. No, wait. It's eggplant and fig. Is it? Actually, I don't even know if it's an eggplant. I think it's a cucumber and a fig. I think it's an eggplant. I'm pretty sure it's a cucumber and a fig it could be either way it's definitely a it fig. Is two things that could be substitutions for a male and a female's parts yeah and they are definitely making a statement yeah <laughs> it is not an accident that these two fruits are together if you want a hint look for mercury oh that's too big of a hint look for mercury too big of a hint is that too big of a hint all right but i will say that in italian it's even more suggestive because the word fig in italian fico If you make that into a feminine word, if you, instead of saying fico, you put an A on the end, that is a slang word for female anatomy. So it's very suggestive. Anyway, so look for that if you're so inclined. This is not an accident. This is something that they did purposefully, but unless you look for it, you might miss it. Because as you said, the entire ceiling is covered in fruit and vines yes so you have to go in there intentionally looking oh i forgot one of the most important things in that museum is an actual painting by Raphael's own hand the triumph of galatea which is gorgeous it's not in the same room as the um lodge of cupid and psyche it's in the next room over and it's just one wall fresco it's not that big but it's absolutely gorgeous you've got to see it you know it's one of those things you can't describe it on an audio podcast. You got to just, you got to see it. It's a picture you would recognize. You've seen it online, but it is different mm-hmm. to see it actually in person, yeah. as is everything really. Any piece of art that you can see online is so different when you see it in person. Mm-hmm. You can see the brush strokes and the intention and where it is on the wall and how it's lit up by the outside light and all those things. So, okay, so let's end with one more suggestion. Let's say I have a little extra time and I want to do just a day trip out of Rome somewhere. Is there a location that you would really recommend going to if you wanted to get out of the city for a little while? Um, There are a lot. 
First, let me say this. If you're only in Rome for three or four days, do not take a day trip out of Rome, please. Just don't do that. There's so much to see in Rome and so much to experience that if you're only there for three or four days, just don't, just don't do it. Makes me cringe. Makes me cringe. Here's what makes me cringe. When people are like, yeah, we're going to be, we're spending four days in Venice and four days in Florence and four days in Rome. And I'm just like, why are you spending the same number of days in Venice that you're spending in Rome? Give yourself two days in Venice and six days in Rome, but whatever. That's my personal. So true. So true. That's my personal thing. Well, wait, let me, before you go on though, and give me that ill-advised recommendation, is there anything that you would say if a person only has three days in Rome that they should avoid doing some of the big three or whatever? It's, you know, I think these questions are so, so personal because there are people who come to Rome and they know they're going to come back. They're young or they're huge travel lovers or they live nearby to those people. Sure. If you want to skip the Vatican museum, skip the Vatican museums because you'll be back. But a lot of people come to Rome and either they know they're never coming back or it turns out that they're never coming back because the world is big, you know, and there's a lot of places to see. And I just can't tell people don't go to the Vatican museums because there's a reason they're so popular. There's a reason that 30,000 people go every day. <laughs> and that's because the Sistine Chapel is the greatest artistic achievement of all time. <laughs> it just is. You can't really argue with that. So you have to see it. <laughs> I would say less so St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's Basilica is impressive, but it's not, doesn't hold a candle to the Sistine Chapel, in my opinion. And the same with the, the Colosseum. Like, I hate going to the Colosseum. Like, if, if I had to, like, take one of my friends to the Colosseum, I would really not enjoy it. But that said, you have to go there. You have to see it. It's one of those things in life that if you get that close to it, you've got to go in. So I'm not going to say don't go to the Colosseum or don't go to the Sistine Chapel unless you know you're going to be back. But you better be pretty sure you're going to be back. But back to your earlier question of where to go if you want to take a day trip, I'm going to have to say Ostia Antica because it's incredibly easy to get to. It only takes about 30 minutes on a commuter train. I think it costs like a euro or a euro 50 to get there. And it's an incredible site. It's a very, very well-preserved ancient Roman port city. It was the main port of Rome because it's right by the mouth of the Tiber River. And it was a very thriving, mostly working-class city, although there were some more upper-class families that lived there. And it's very well-preserved because of, if I believe, and if you're an archaeologist or a tour guide and I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I want to say like mudslides or something like that. Like it was preserved because there were these, it wasn't anything quite as dramatic as Pompeii, but something along those same sort of lines. And it's not as well preserved as Pompeii by any means. And it doesn't have the same kind of artistic sophistication with the wall frescoes that you can find in Pompeii. But it, it really gives you an incredible snapshot of the average Roman person's life. Like you can see a bar, you can see a classroom, you can see houses, you can see two-story houses, you can see like little squares and shops. And it just really gives you the sense of what an ancient Roman town looked like. So I'm going to go with Ostia. Good recommendation. Very good. See, and it's so close. <laughs> it still will take up a whole day, but it is you, close. Yeah. 
it, it won't take up like the entire day. It'll take up like maybe like five hours, including travel time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Boy, that was a lot. I wrote them down. So I will put the listings in our show notes at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And of course, probably on your little handheld device that you're listening through. Um, while you're at the uh, bittersweetlife.net, click on the donate button. That's the one thing. Uh, the one thing that's so interesting about this site that we have, this site that helps keep this podcast coming to people's devices, it has some challenges. And one of them is that the donate button does not appear on your mobile device. It only appears on your desktop. Oh, man. And I talk to the company about it and they say, there's nothing I can do to fix that. <laughs> and so please actually go to the website and click on the donate button. Your donations are what keeps this show going we tiffany and i literally can't afford to keep this show alive without outside help because it's expensive it's really expensive i just paid one of tiffany's bills the other day and i almost had a heart attack so one of my bills okay wait <laughs> it wasn't like she paid my credit card bill for buying shoes no. okay she was paying for the social media management account that we <laughs> use so that we can we can, you know, which promote ourselves on. through so social expensive. media. It was expensive, I know, but it was a group decision. So don't call it my bill, Katie. <laughs> I know, but it sounded so much more dramatic. Okay, you know, <laughs> Tiffany is not costing me money, but uh, the show does cost us money. So that's why we need your support. And I do want to thank the most recent donors to our show. Only by first name, since I didn't ask their permission. Monica, Neil, Lindsay, Laura, and Ryan. Thank you all. Ryan, who happens to be a good friend of mine. So shout extra shout out to Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Shout out to Ryan. And I just met Monica last week. So shout out to Monica. But for the rest of you uh, who donated, thank you so much. And for those of you who love the show and have not yet donated, these donations range from $4 all the way up to 150 So we accept any range, really, in there. Whatever you feel like you can afford and what do you want to kick back to us as your podcasting hosts? Enough about that. But I do want to thank our intern, Estrella Gomez, for all the hard work. You can find her at lacasablaga.com. If you want to see that picture of me talking to a painted man, <laughs> find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram, searching for the Bittersweet Life podcast. Do I have time to like say one more thing that's very timely? Yes. Okay. If you are in Rome on March 9th, which is just around the corner... You have to go to the Casa di Santa Francesca Romana, also known as the Tor di Specchio Convent. This site is only open once a year on March 9th, which is the day that Santa Francesca Romana died. And it is incredible. It is her home slash the site of the convent. It's totally perfectly preserved from the way that it was in the 1400s and it is covered in the most glorious early renaissance frescoes by Antoniazio Romano who's the very first Roman renaissance artist and I go almost every single year because that's how much I love it I don't get sick of it I just I eat that place up and I highly recommend that so if you're in Rome on March 9th go to the Casa di Santa Francesca Romana a.k.a. Tor di Specchi. Well, wow, that makes me feel like my trip is ill-timed. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't go when you were in Rome, I guess. That's strange that we didn't go. I don't think we'd figured out when to go yet. Mm. I think you were investigating it or something. But I'm pretty sure that I went before 
I did go. I did go before you came. I went for the first time in 2011, I think. I'm pretty sure. So I would have already known, which is, it's strange to me that I didn't force you to go because that's the kind of thing I would do. I would force you to get up at the crack of dawn and be there by 9 a.m. Go early, by the way, if you go, because every grandmother in Rome like stands in line all day to get into that place. Why did they only open it one day? Do you know? It's an actual working convent. There's nuns who live there and they're doing their thing and they don't want tourists in there all the time. So they, they just open it on the day of the death of their founding nun. Hmm. It's cool. It's really cool because basically this woman, Santa Francesca Romana, who was an, a married woman and then she, her husband died and she became a nun. And then she was canonized after her death, obviously. She apparently had these healing powers and she, you know, was able to help people who had these terrible injuries. And a whole bunch of the frescoes are of her, like, healing people. And so, like, there's a guy with his arm falling off. <laughs> like, they're really graphic. There's, like, another guy who's chewed up by, like, some kind of sieve. <laughs> like, and there's all these, like, people. Like, some guy's, like, had his eyes pecked out. And she's totally calm. And she's just like, okay, here you go. And she fixes them. <laughs> just relax. I got this. Picks the arm up, reattaches. <laughs> yes. Amazing. <laughs> Somehow that reminds me of that one church. There's that one round church in Rome that is full of frescoes of all the horrible things that happened to the Christian martyrs. Santo Stefano in Rotonda? Yeah, probably. Is it that one? Yep. That's a round church. There's not very many round churches in Rome. There's a couple. I'm taking notes because I got to remember to post all these on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All right. Well, we should leave it there. Don't forget, if you're in Seattle, March 16th, set your calendars. We want to see you at the Greenwood Senior Center. I will post an address on our website as well of where that is under today's show notes. It shows at 730. It will be a live broadcast of The Bittersweet Life with your hosts, Tiffany Parks and Katie Sewell. And we'll finally get to actually hold copies of Tiffany's books in our hands, which is amazing. For those of you longtime listeners, you've been hearing about this book for a really long time. <laughs> so the book will actually be there in physical form. <laughs> you've been hearing about this book since it was just an idea in my head. I know. I know. I remember that actually one of the first conversations we had when I moved to Rome was us taking a walk through the park and you telling me the plot line of Midnight in the Piazza. And it was the first time I'd heard it. And I think that was my first day there. Really? The first time I'd seen you since I got there. And now, however many years later. Actually, that makes sense because we did go to Villa Pomfili that day. Mm -hmm. I remember. We have a picture of us. I think it's our in Instagram picture of us standing in front of the the view of the on top of Gianicolo Hill on our way up there. Oh, yeah. So that was the first time I heard, the, heard of the book. And now, wow, it's actually going to be a thing. That's so exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. Book your tickets to Rome. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs>